Before we turn to our text, let us sing hymn 54, 1, 2, and 5. And hymn 54 is Psalm 90, Psalm 90, which is our text today. So we're singing from Psalm 90 and hymn 54, 1, 2, and 5. Psalm 90, and the sermon this morning will focus on verse 17, the last verse. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, and we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength eighty, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, 
that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. This is the word of God. In response to the preaching this morning, we'll sing of Psalm 90, stanza one. Beloved in the Lord Jesus congregation, in my family tradition, we read this psalm at the turning of the year, the prayer of Moses, the man of God. In our Canadian tradition, we sing this psalm, this psalm as we have it in hymn 54, is often sung at Remembrance Day services. And if you know your Canadian history a little bit, you will know that 100 years ago, from August 8th to November 11th, was the 100-day assault, starting at Anian, to defeat the Germans in the First World War. The 100-day assault, which comes to Remembrance Day, Armistice Day on November 11th. And we sing this song since then, the last hundred years, this hymn has been sung, O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. I remember as a child learning this song in the public school I attended. We sang it at school assemblies on November 11th. World War II, the Second World War, had just ended a decade and a half before. The memories of the tyranny and the oppression of the fascists and the communists was a recent memory. We can't imagine today if we had been told that there would be a war coming where 60 million people would die. We would just shake our heads and say that's unbelievable. That's what happened. World War II, 60 million people died. The memories of the awful killing machines of the war struck fear in the hearts of the people. An atomic war was looming. And so we sang this song, O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. This song, Psalm 90, is a plea, a cry for graciousness a prayer from mortal men to the undying God. A prayer for graciousness, for gracefulness, for the beauty of the Lord to rest upon us. For the beauty of the Lord to rest upon us. Now we don't know when Moses wrote this song, but I imagine it to be set in our reading from Numbers 13 and 14. The Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt and brought them to the borders of the land of promise. And we read that account of how the spies brought the report of a great and powerful people in the land. And the people rebel. They say, oh, if we had only died in the desert, if we could only die in Egypt, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And Moses and Aaron plead with the people. They say, the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of the inhabitants of the land. But the people are not persuaded. 
They want to stone Moses and Aaron. And God comes in judgment. He's going to destroy them all. But Moses pleads with God, remember your great mercy. Remember how you are slow to anger, how you are abounding in love. And though you are just, you have forgiven your people because of your great mercy. And the Lord relents. But rebellion has consequences. All the adults, all the adults will die in the desert as they wished. For 40 years you will wander in the wilderness. And all those who are over 20 years old will die. And Moses writes, man's life is fleeting. 70 years, maybe 80 then they will return to dust. They will meet their end in this desert. Here they will die. So the account of the rebellion at Kedesh Barnea comes to its gloomy end. They return to the wilderness from which they came for 40 years. And in that context, I imagine Moses writing this song, Psalm 90, the prayer of Moses, the man of God. So let's turn to that psalm. Moses wrote the first books of the Bible and was deeply conscious that the wages of sin is death. And so he writes this psalm. He contemplates the eternity of God before the mountains were brought forth from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. The Lord is God. He is the creator of even the seemingly eternal mountains. Now this past summer... I was, we were camping in Ontario in north of Algonquin Park, quite a ways into the north country, out on the wilds of the Canadian Shield, and there the mountains seem eternal. If you know your history, if you know our Canadian history, the voyageurs paddled up the great rivers and lakes and streams of the northwest and brought back the furs and pelts of the trapper and the indigenous people of the land. And much has changed since then. The forests have been cut down. Highways of asphalt and rail lines of steel allow for the swift passage of people and cargo. Cities and towns have been built up. Rivers are dammed and new lakes form behind them. But the hills and the mountains remain the same, unchanging. Even the works of men outlast them. The steel rails laid down in the Transcontinental Railway 150 years ago still carry the produce of the hinterland to the sea and the international trade back to the inland markets of the nation. But the people are but a breath compared even to the work of their own hands. Much so, more so compared to the everlasting one who comes from everlasting. The eternal creator of heaven and earth and all that is in them. Mankind is transient, ephemeral, a passing shadow, a mist in the morning dissipated by the rising sun's heat. 
And Moses prays to God, who has come in judgment against his own people. Who can withstand him? People are dust. Their years pass away, moan and a sigh. We're swept away in death. One moment we are fresh like new grass, only to dry up and wither. Moreover, our iniquities are bared in the presence of the Holy One. Moses comes to God and cries out for mercy to the Eternal One, intercedes for God's covenant people. This is a somber prayer, Psalm 90. Fleeting years troubled by sin, fleeting years burdened by the righteous retribution of God. And Moses cries out, may the beauty of the Lord be upon us. May he establish the work of our hands. This is the longing of the restless heart, seeking to find rest in the eternal. As Augustine, the church father, put it, restless is the heart until it finds its rest in you, O Lord. And so Moses prays, may the beauty of the Lord be upon us. This is the yearning and the cry of the mortal to the immortal. And that word that I've translated in my theme today, the word beauty, is footnoted that way in both the NIV and the ESV. Not just may the favor of the Lord be upon us, but may the beauty of the Lord be upon us. Even as in English, the word beauty or the word favor can be interchanged with the word grace. Grace can mean both kindness and loveliness. Grace can mean both graciousness and gracefulness. And here we learn that God's grace, his favor, is his beauty. Because his loving kindness and mercy is beautiful. When we sing the song, Fairest Lord Jesus, we're not saying that Jesus is fair and that he treats everyone equally. We say he's fair in that his grace is most beautiful. The children will know that word from Snow White. The wicked witch looks in the mirror and says, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Who's the most beautiful? Moses hears God say, return to dust, O sons of Adam. Return to sons of dust of Adam. That's what it says in verse 3. He knows the story of Adam and Eve. He wrote it down. And here the creator, there the creator told our first parents, you are dust and to dust you will return. And he compares God's eternity a, a thousand years compared to a watch in the night sweeps men away in the sleep of death. And he knows God's judgment on his rebellious people. In the desert you will die. And Moses replies, Lord, we are consumed by your anger. 
You know our sins, all our iniquity. They are ever before you. Our days pass away under your wrath and our years finish with a moan. And so, at the turning of a year, we can reflect and acknowledge the Eternal One, the Righteous One, acknowledge our frailty, our fallen condition, and our sin. And preachers of the Gospel know this. They see the frailty we all encounter, the swiftness of the passing of the years. And Moses looks to the future and sees man's span of life to be 70 or by reason of strength 80 years. As Job would say, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and they come to an end without hope. So Moses intercedes for God's people. He he faces God's anger. The Lord is about to destroy his own people for their rebellion. And listen to his plea. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us with your unfailing love. Imagine Remembrance Day, 1946. Make us glad as many days as you have afflicted us. It's as if he's saying, I am a man of constant sorrow. I've seen trouble all my days. My mother and father left Europe just six years after the end of World War II. <clears throat> my father's father died in a German camp as a political prisoner in Sachsenhausen, just outside of Berlin at Oranienburg in the early spring of 1945. My parents, when they left Europe, saw little hope for a future. I imagine as they left family and friends and nation behind, at that time, believing they would never see them again, I imagine them praying with their two little girls with one on the way. Satisfy us in the morning with your unveiling love. Just as we might imagine those who live under the cross of persecution. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. And Moses' prayer here in Psalm 90 echoes his words in Numbers 14, reminds God of his mercy, of his tender-hearted love, of his honor, of his reputation. May the beauty, may your beauty be upon us. His loving kindness is his beauty. May it rest upon us. This is his many-sided glory, his graciousness. Fairest Lord Jesus, fairer than the sunshine, fairer still than moonlight. May the beauty of the Lord be upon us and warm our hearts even as the sun warms the earth. As the silver light of moonlight bathes the world in beauty, so may the favor of the Lord be upon us. May his graciousness and his gracefulness rest upon his people, upon us. And it's exactly, it's exactly the moment when God's grace is revealed and the beauty of the gospel is set forth. 
that the blackness of sin is most pronounced. It's a preacher's prayer and hope that preaching and teaching among God's people helps all to see the darkness that lies in our hearts. And in that same preaching that the beauty of God's grace is revealed to us. As you sit under the preaching of Pastor Rick, see the beauty of the gospel. Fairest Lord Jesus. When sin is exposed and dark hearts uncovered, where iniquity is realized, and the guilt and pollution of sin is laid bare, there is only one thing we can do. Only one thing we can do is to cast ourselves into the everlasting arms of God. This psalm so clearly shows that life isn't worth living if not both joy and sorrow send us to him. O oh God, our help in ages past, ever faithful, ever sure, our hope for years to come, ever faithful, ever sure. This song begins as a funeral dirge, a sad and poignant lament, a confession of sin, of unworthiness, of righteous judgment. It's the funeral march for the generations. Fleeting years swept away as with a flood. Generations bloom and then were mowed down. As Isaiah writes centuries later, all people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows upon them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And we would despair but the psalmist began, Moses began, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. The futility of life and the passing of the years would be meaningless if it were not for that. And then we see how here, along with the whole Old Testament, the Old Testament cries out for something more, for something better, for someone better. For Moses stood in the breach more than once. He pleaded with God for the sake of the people, a rebellious and recalcitrant lot, a stiff-necked people, the Lord would call them. But Moses prefigures fairest Lord Jesus. For when the grace that he obtained for us rests upon us, when the beauty of his graciousness is laid upon us, we will reflect that beauty. And all our foulness and deformity covered, all our filth and guilt removed. And then we're being transformed from glory to glory, as Paul would say, transformed by the renewal of our minds. Upon whomever this beauty rests, will assimilate it and assimilate to it, and their souls and lives will be molded by it. And the person upon whom this beauty of the Lord rests will be transformed into the image of the Son of God, more and more reflecting that beauty and glory into the world. You cannot have it without reflecting it. To have the grace of God 
makes us both gracious and graceful, we will more and more look like the sun. Even as Jesus said in John 14, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So it should be true that those who have seen the one on whom the beauty of the Lord has come to rest should see Jesus. And that's the question today. Is that true of you and me? When God's grace, his graciousness, his gracefulness, when his beauty rests upon us, then we must more and more look like Jesus. The preaching of the gospel is the means of grace. It's the way by which God has determined that you will be transformed, that we will be transformed. It's the primary way by which God rests his favor upon us. And it's only when God's favor rests upon us that life has meaning. When the beauty of the Lord is laid over our lives, life really only has meaning in Jesus Christ risen from the dead. So Moses is bold to ask the Lord, establish the work of our hands, just establish it. Moses observes the fleeting nature of our existence, the momentary character of our lives, the moaning of the years, generations swept away with a sigh. And the seniors among us feel it, the years pass swiftly. Teach us, Lord, to number our days, for without you we may as well give up. What's the use of it all? As the preacher in Ecclesiastes sums it up, vanity, vanity, all is vanity but a breath of chasing after the wind. What use is hard work? We will die and it will pass to others. Men may try to build great monuments. We can think of the great pyramids, but the mummified kings, the mummified bodies of the kings that built them testify to the futility of it all. To what purpose the amassing of great wealth, the writing of memoirs, the drafting of rich men's will. The length of our days will be 70, 80 if we're strong. Their span, trouble and sorrow, they quickly pass and we will fly away. Vanity, vanity, a chasing after the wind. This past summer, maybe some of you were able to see that great meteor shower in the middle of August when we were camping in the, in the far north. We were camping far from city lights on a clear, moonless night. I reflected our lives are like those shooting stars, brief flashes of light some bright, some faint, some spectacular, yet all were but passing moments against the never-changing sky, swept away, no trace of their passing, never to be seen again. Teach us, Lord, to number our days. And then with this final petition of the psalm, Moses, the man of God, sees it. He sees the solution. Lord, establish our work. May your work be our work. May your work be ours. See that in verse 16? Let your work be shown to be your servants. May your work be shown to your servants. Show us your work, O Lord, that we might do it too.
And this then is the constant, the basis, the foundation. When our hearts are aligned to Jesus, when your heart's aligned to Jesus, when we think God's thoughts after him, when our wills are bent to his, and when we love what he loves, then and only then will our work, our deeds have purpose and meaning. Then our work will stand. When we bring our lives into harmony with the gracefulness of the Father, with the graciousness of the Son, with the beauty of the Holy Spirit, then your work will be established. Your deeds will stand. They will be perpetual when done in harmony with His. Every effort, even seemingly insignificant little things of daily life, will have meaning and purpose. The raising of children, care for the elderly, kindness to neighbor, a cup of cold water, a visit to the shut-in, deeds done under the beauty of God have eternal purpose. But a life lived outside the graciousness of God is like a little wooden ship caught in the currents of time and tides of history broken to pieces in the surf of the century, smashed to smithereens, a total loss, like shooting stars. But a life lived in harmony with the beauty of the Lord, in line with the glorious, gracious, graceful, beautiful gospel, that life will have meaning. And you can see it in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 15. That chapter is Paul's great exposition on the resurrection and what it means. For there were some who said there was no resurrection. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that would mean that Jesus never rose from the dead. And if that were true, we of all people would be most miserable, most to be pitied. Then life would be futile, purposeless of vanity. Our years passing in a moan fleeting like fading flowers. But Jesus Christ has been raised, and his resurrection changes everything. For you too will be raised from the dead, and you will be changed from corruptible to incorruptible, from perishable to imperishable, death swallowed up in victory. Paul continues at the end of the chapter 15, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we hear in the end of 1 Corinthians 15, the counterpoint to Psalm 90, verse 17. Moses' prayer established the work of our hands, yes, established our work. And Paul rejoices in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Because then you know that your labor is not in vain. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, by and in the resurrection of the Christ, God answers Moses' prayer. The futility of life is over. This is the end of vanity. This is the hope of glory. Your life no longer needs to be a passing away to dust, like withered flowers and parched grass, like shooting stars. We no longer live our lives finish our years with a moan, no longer a span of trouble and sorrow. 
For Jesus Christ, while with us, was the man of constant sorrow. Acquainted with grief, he saw trouble all his days. And thus, for us, we are no longer consumed by the Lord's anger, no longer terrified of his indignation. Do you get it? Do you see it? Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. Satisfy us in the morning. And it was early in the morning on the first day of the week that Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to Mary, to the disciples, to the women. Mary declared, I have seen the Lord. And that has changed everything in the course of history. We may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Moses prayed, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, yes, I will. But I will do more than you ask. Moses prayed, make us glad for as many years as we have seen trouble. No longer a people of constant sorrow, acquainted only with grief, but a people singing for joy, glad for eternity. Our work established in Jesus Christ. The Apostle John confirms this in the book of Revelation in chapter 14, and he sees 144,000, the redeemed of the Lord, singing a new song. And he saw and heard angels declare God's judgment on the disobedience. And then he heard a voice from heaven say, write down this. Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds follow them. Brother, sister, this is the moment, the day and the hour. This is the urgent call. Find in the resurrected Jesus bright hope for tomorrow, for beauty on your life today. Don't let this moment this morning pass you by. Establish the work of our hands, O Lord. Just establish the work of our hands. And then you too, we too together today can stand firm and know that our work is not in vain. For in Jesus Christ, the beauty of the Lord will rest upon all who put their hope and trust in him. And then you can die in peace. For blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor and their deeds will follow them into eternity. Yes, may the beauty of the Lord rest upon us. Amen.